Hi, I'm Jennifer Love of the Living Wealthy Institute, and this is The Nature of Money Show. Did 2020 leave you feeling disoriented or disconnected maybe from yourself and others? Dramatic disruptions continue to shake our financial world to its core, revealing vulnerabilities in how we live, relate to, and interact with money. And many of us feel more alone in our relationship with money than ever before. And in this season of The Nature of Money, we'll begin to take a deeper dive into the inner workings that laid the foundation for how several successful female founders developed their personal money narrative. And you'll get a peek into the deeper layers, which ordinarily stay hidden behind the garden gate of our busy lives. And you'll begin to get to know me through various parts of my own story and the perspectives of experts in various fields. Together, we're going to explore those core beliefs about money and worth and where they come from. And what are the limitations caused by our old money narratives? And how do those limitations affect us? I'm a career entrepreneur with over 20 years of experience. I've started and run my own businesses and advise leaders in growing theirs. My mission as a money therapist is to empower leaders to end what I call emotional poverty and to grow their internal net worth right alongside growing their investments and businesses, ultimately to live wealthy. I'm excited to share these stories with you. And so subscribe right now to The Nature of Money wherever you find podcasts to get episodes as soon as they drop. The ending of the Cinderella story is timeless and consistent in all of her various global iterations. To be whole and complete, she needs to be rescued by Prince Charming, and then she can live happily ever after and impact the world. I've had so many women over the years share with me some variation of the fear that if she makes more money, a man or a friend or a lover will not love her anymore and she'll end up alone. This underlying belief system ultimately keeps her in a state of either not making money or making money and losing it over and over again, or making money but not investing it and holding herself back from really going for it or being visible, or making money but stripping away important parts of herself, like her femininity or gentleness or authentic voice. What I've come to see through my research and clinical work is that we all have a Cinderella inside of us. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, a man, gay, straight, or something of your own description. When you examine the deeper meaning of the story, you can see that we all have and are playing out a Cinderella inside of us. The role of the victim. It appears that there are as many variations of the Cinderella story as there are colors on the rainbow. And it's not a simple archetypical story. It's not just a fairy tale. It's a story of disempowerment. And personally, I see it as a personal financial nightmare. Without challenging this narrative, so many women are stuck in the cycle of self-sabotage without even realizing it. Some women have broken through this narrative. The women you'll hear in this episode are those women. I sat down with a number of female founders to explore their own Cinderella stories and how their self-empowered rags-to-riches story came about. Listen in for the empowerment, the tenacity, and ingenuity in each story. 
But for most of us, nobody told you that the narratives you have taken on about being helpless in your relationship with money is a choice. If you don't stop and examine it, then you don't know. No one told you that you have a story, and I have mine, and that those stories are different, and that those stories, mine, yours, and others, begin and often bump up against each other, and that every day, every month, every year, if you don't ever stop and unpack these things as you get older, the trauma, the upper limits, the perpetuation of the scar tissue and the various aspects of your wealth zones and humanity, create your helpless victim gets thicker inside of you and then it begins to block your ability to grow and evolve and to thrive and to live wealthy. And so this is a very special invitation for you. This is your time to examine how you may be acting out of your own unconscious beliefs and ingrained behaviors, because in doing so, you can set yourself free. My invitation as you listen to this three-part Rewriting Your Cinderella Story series is to bring attention to what you need to unpack in yourself. Where are you asking to be rescued in your life? And I encourage you to look at and begin to examine the places you may be not seeing, where you're expecting or hoping or waiting to be saved or rescued in your life or in your business or with your finances. First up is Emily Fletcher. She's the founder of Ziva Meditation and is a leader in performance meditation. Amongst her students are Oscar and Grammy and Emmy Award winners and Navy SEALs and NBA players. And she's been named one of the top 100 women in wellness to watch and has spoken at Apple and Google and Harvard Business School. Emily, will you tell me about your anti-Cinderella story? So I have an actual Cinderella story. When I was in high school, I got cast as the understudy in Cinderella, the musical. <laughs> and I was understudying a senior. I was a freshman. She was a senior. It was, you know, the big musical. And it was a big deal that I got cast as the understudy to the lead as a freshman. Well, there was 15 shows. So she, as the actual lead, got eight of them. And I got seven. So really, we were double cast. But I was technically the understudy. Now, this woman who was playing Cinderella was dating... Prince Charming, the man playing Prince Charming. They were a couple. And everyone thought it was very unfair that me as a freshman got seven out of the 15 shows as the understudy. So the stepsisters, the godmother, everyone, like all the other leads basically decided amongst themselves they were going to ruin the shows that I was Cinderella. They were going to like make the shows bad. <laughs> and I'm 15. I'm really like proud of the fact that I've like gotten cast as this lead and I'm so excited about it. And these are my friends. You know, I like you know, rehearsed for them 10 hours a day after school every day. And so it just was so heartbreaking to think that my friends would be willing to ruin this thing that we were all creating together just to, for what? Like, I know really they were protecting their friend. They were trying to support their friend. I don't think it was an act of malice towards me, but it, uh, it drove me to sort of be interested in Ayn Rand and the Fountainhead and this idea that, that we, we move society forward by bettering ourselves. Like I was not willing to go into the tall poppy syndrome thing. Like I'm not going to diminish myself to make other people happy. Um, but it was interesting that that was my first like an actual Cinderella story. <laughs> um, and thankfully it didn't play out. Like I think that I switched that narrative pretty quickly. It didn't become like a thing I kept with me for the rest of my life. And yet for so many women, 
that story does stay with them for life. And the narrative is never challenged. Hey, everyone. This episode has a special sponsor. Over at Ziva Meditation, you'll find tools to help you transition from worrier to warrior, all in one place. The world may be stressed, but you don't have to be. Inside Ziva Meditation Self-Care Center, you'll find meditations, visualizations, bodywork and movement, and resources for you parents and your kiddos. Emily Fletcher, founder of Ziva Meditation, and I have spent time together, and we share similar values, and I can personally say that this is one talented meditation guide. And so I'm confident that by putting you in the hands of her and her programs, you'll find your way into more peace and calm amidst your busy life. Use http colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash Ziva meditation. After an airplane ride from Los Angeles to New York City, I became curious about the origins of the Cinderella story. This is such a strong narrative. Where did it come from? I wondered. It turns out this was not an easy question to answer. There are thousands of variants of the Cinderella story known throughout the world, stretching across the globe from Europe, Africa, Asia, China, Russia, the Americas, and beyond. In the Cinderella Tales from Around the World, which is a 2012 volume edited by Heidi Ann Heiner, records over 300 variations in circulation. American audiences are most familiar with the Disney version of the tale popularized by the 1950s movie, which features a relatively passive female protagonist who depends on her fairy godmother and ultimately a wealthy prince to save her. That story is loosely based on the work of French author Charles Proulx, who created a kind and friendly and passive character who does not take much action to try to better her lot in life. Earlier versions of the tale from Europe and Asia, though, paint a picture of a much more assertive and savvy young Cinderella. Those tales tend to be much darker. The first recorded story featuring Cinderella-like figure dates back to Greece in the 6th century BC. In that ancient story, a Greek courtesan named Rodolphus has one of her shoes stolen by an eagle who flies it all the way across the Mediterranean and drops it in the lap of an Egyptian king who ultimately comes and rescues her. Another one of the earliest known Cinderella stories is the 9th century Chinese fairy tale, Zizeng, in which a young girl named Zizeng is granted one wish from her magical fish bones, which she uses to create a gown in the hopes of finding a husband. Like Rodolphus' tale, a monarch comes in possession of the shoe and goes on a quest to find the woman whose tiny feet will fit the shoe. Yizeng's beauty convinces the king to marry her, and the mean stepmother is crushed by the stones in her cave home. One Cinderella known as Zizola is a murderer. Egged on by her nanny, she kills her evil stepmother by slamming the lid of a heavy chest down on top of her head. Then again, at the urging of her nanny, she convinces her grieving father to marry the nanny. The nanny then takes on the traditional role of evil stepmother. When her father returns from a trip, he brings Azola a gift, a magical date tree that sprouts a fairy and grants wishes. Zazola ends up getting a gorgeous gown, attends a feast day celebration, and snags the heart of a local king whom she marries. 
And another early Cinderella variant known as donkey skin has been told in countries as varied as Sudan and Norway. In a presentation to the American Folk Life Center in the Library of Congress, American folklorist Margaret Yocom says that the tale centers on a young princess who is faced with the prospect of marrying her father. She gets out of the situation by claiming she will only marry him if he meets several seemingly impossible demands, including bringing her a dress that twinkles like the stars in the sky and a coat made of every type of fur in the land. When the king manages to bring her those items, this Cinderella escapes using the fur coat as camouflage. With the help of a kind stranger, she gets a job working in a kitchen of a distant palace. And one night, she attends a ball in one of her old gowns, and a prince falls in love with her and marries her. I believe that the Cinderella story so many of us grew up with teaches us poor relationship skills. It teaches us to devalue our natural state of worth, to become codependent, to be sexist. More than that, it sets the stage for unhealthy relationship with money. So many women, and yes, men too, grow up in families with disempowering money beliefs. Next up is Sage Levine. To share her experience with this, Sage is the founder and CEO of Women Rocking Business Training Company, which reaches over 100,000 women around the globe. And through her business, she has raised over a million dollars for women's humanitarian projects, supporting girls in third world countries. And so it's no surprise that she's made Inc.'s 500,000 list. So here's Sage. I also always knew I had to do a lot of money work as an adult because of the money stories I was told as a kid. So my parents were both school teachers. We never had enough money to go shopping at the normal clothes stores. We went to Goodwill and, you know, Target. That was the big joke. We got most of our school clothes from Goodwill and Target, which was Target. My mom would make us um, take off the tags and hide the clothes at the bottom of our drawers so that my dad didn't know that we had shopped at Target because we didn't have the money, quote unquote, as per my dad. My dad controlled the money. My dad controlled the spending. And my mom was always living in fear of my dad finding out that we spent too much money. So one of the first things I did when I started making money was I would go on shopping sprees, like embarrassing shopping sprees. (laughs) But it was also very therapeutic to be able to go shopping and buy what I wanted and tell everybody how much it cost. And that lasted about a year and a half. And then I went to Africa and I remember uh, doing a fundraiser where we were bringing in clean water filtration systems to villages. And it costs about $65 to get an entire village, a clean water filter so that their children wouldn't die of malaria and typhoid fever. And I'll never forget realizing, Oh, that's who I am. I'm somebody who really cares about my global impact. And I came back from Africa and then my friends were noticing that I didn't buy myself anything new for like two years. I recycled the same outfits when I was on stage in front of thousands of people. And every time I would pick something up and think about buying something for $65, I would think to myself, wow, an entire village could have clean water for the same amount that this sweater costs. 
And since then, I've found something in between because we work hard. And when we work hard and earn money, it's so important to give to ourselves and to spend on ourselves and to uh, do the things that enable us to go be the light of the world. That's what money is here for. Money is here to support us to go be the light of the world, to make a huge difference on the planet. And that's why money's here. So if you need to splurge on yourself, splurge on yourself. But let's not forget about the villages in underdeveloped countries and the people living down the street from us that just don't have what we have. It's like both and. Sage just shared beautifully what can happen when a woman takes responsibility for her financial well-being. Women like Sage are the exception. The rule is learned helplessness. Turning back to the Cinderella story, we begin to see how it ties in with the experience of women today. Cinderella's parents failed to provide their only child with any type of financial safety net. In today's lingo, that is called life insurance or a trust fund. And her father travels far to keep working after her mother dies. But he remarries without any prenuptial agreement or will. And after a bit of time, Cinderella's father then dies while abroad in pursuit of making money and trying to maintain the residence. But now this is shared with his second wife, Cinderella's stepmother and two stepdaughters. So overnight, Cinderella becomes a slave in her own home, persecuted by her stepmother and stepsisters, likely because of their jealousy of her natural beauty and talent and birthright. And here's the 911 on this for me. The reality is that Cinderella chose to stay. She chose to play small and allow the ill treatment of herself. This is referred to as learned helplessness. Neuroscience provides insight into what this looks like. For many, learned helplessness occurs when a person or an animal is repeatedly exposed to adverse or traumatic stimuli that it cannot escape or control, whether that's real or perceived. And so eventually, the person or the animal will stop trying to avoid the stimuli because it believes it cannot control the outcome, and then it behaves as though it is utterly helpless to change the situation. So Cinderella learned to accept the normalcy of suffering, even when she had choice to choose differently. For many people, this often leads to depression and other mental illnesses, and in some cases may cause the person to neglect their medical care, financial affairs, and other important needs. My historic studies and work with women leads me to believe that learned helplessness is an epidemic amongst women. We as women have grown accustomed to dimming our light, even though things are shifting societally and or culturally, we still see how this is expressed today. In addition to the epigenetic impact and learned behavior that is so deeply ingrained. And so what is an epigenetic impact? We're now joined by Dr. Catherine Guiley to tell us more about the science of changing our genes. Catherine is the founder of Making Everything Fun, providing resource, wellness, nutrition, and leadership. She's a certified epigenetics coach through Aperian Academy and believes that wellness is the key to life. Here's Catherine. So I'll just start with the word epigenetics. If we look at it semantically, epi is above and genetics is genes. So what it really is, is it's about 
being above the genes, what we can control. Scientifically, the way that we turn down our genes is called methylation. And this is an oversimplification. And the way that we turn up our genes is acetylation. And so, for example, if you have a gene that would create a higher propensity to develop cancer, there are certain things that you can do to have proper methylation that will completely turn those genes off. So there's this whole, you know, protein system, the histones and, and how they relate um, to the different proteins and structures within the DNA. It's really quite uh, flexible and it's quite fun. Um, I've, I've heard it explained by a professor as kind of looking like a, like a, like a marshmallow, that would be the histone with like these, and it's all candy. So it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm in the field of nutrition, but <laughs> we have the marshmallow and then we have the strings of uh, like the, like the shoelace uh, licorice strings, right. That connect the marshmallows. And then there's these little like, um, you know, dots of sugar candy that are around the, uh, the marshmallows. So where the turning up and down actually happens is on those strings that connect the different marshmallows. And they can either be bunched up, like just like smashed up those little like shoelaces. And so they're just kind of like little, you know, balls or little ziggy zags. Um, and then the, the code in there is very, very difficult to read. And that's caused by methylation. And then and I'm not saying methylation is good or bad. I'm just saying that's just the pathway. And, um, you know, there's such a thing as being over-methylated. There's a sh- such thing as being under. But really, just simply let's go back to the candy and, um, and say that if we bunch up that licorice, it becomes very, very hard to read. And then we turn down gene expression. So if there's some stuff in there that's the muckety-muck, that's the stuff we kind of want to bunch up and kind of say, you know what, pass over me, don't read me. Um, I don't want to be expressed. Now, when we stretch it out, that's going to be read very easily. You know, I'm in a very simplistic world, that's acetylation. Um, but it's also just that, hey, I've stretched out my beautiful candy licorice and you can read me. Um, and so we would like for that to be that shiny, wonderful, we're going in the right direction, we're uh, living healthier, healthier lifestyles, we're uh, reversing chronic disease, we're avoiding chronic de- disease, um, we're living longer, healthier, more active lives, we're experiencing nature. Um, in a beautiful, um, synchronistic way. So it's, you know, what we put into our mouths, how we move our bodies, you know, all of the environmental external influences that we can think of are very, very important to uh, the field of epigenetics. And we're seeing that indeed, as you know, the meditation movement really takes off as people are turning inward, looking for answers trying to make the world a better place, I think that that epigenetic field and really feeling more in control of things is going to become more and more prevalent. What Catherine is pointing out to us is that as deeply ingrained as our beliefs and learned behaviors are, that doesn't mean they can't change. In fact, it might be as simple as changing our words and the stories we tell ourselves about our wealth and finances and the effects of which compound over time. Here's a woman up next who's a real-life superwoman who confronted her beliefs around money at a very early age, 21 years old. Lee Richer is an award-winning innovator 
and a visionary recognized by the San Francisco Business Times in their top 100 women business leaders. She is featured on the top 100 fastest growing businesses in the San Francisco Bay Area. She is the CEO, best-selling author, and studio producer, and a member of the Forbes Business Council. And Lee's passion is to connect with innovative leaders making a global impact. My first introduction to having to look at my mindset around money, I was 21 years old, and I already received uh, a job offer with Merrill Lynch, and Merrill Lynch chose me and 49 other people around the country uh, to be part of a group that they wanted to nurture and they wanted to pour into and and prepare us to be their successful financial planners. And what happened was they sent us to the Twin Towers in New York City and we went there for several months for a really intense training on site, but the training was for two years. And they had Wharton School of Business come in and do a customized program for us. And ironically, my coach was Lou Holtz, who was a football coach for Notre Dame at the time. And Lou Holtz came in. And one of the things he did with us is he had all 50 of us write down all of our family money stories. And every single one of us wrote things like, money doesn't grow on trees, and who do you think you are, and money is the root of all evil, and everyone had stories that were passed down in their lineage and that they heard from their family over and over and over again. And as we wrote them down, what we started doing was reframing it and changing it, and then eventually eliminating those stories. And we worked on it together literally for two years on a regular basis on how to reframe those stories. And the main reason they wanted us to do that is here we were coming to be financial advisors for other people, and they didn't want to take those stories into our career. They wanted us to start fresh. Now looking back, I could see the difference that that training made in my life because what that training did was it taught me that I have a relationship with money and that the words I choose can either attract money towards me or deflect it. The thing is, we are each ultimately responsible for our financial experience and are therefore empowered to advocate for what's important to us. Having an understanding of our own needs and then making requests and practicing self-care and exercising choice is our natural human gift. To be responsible humans, we must examine our life, beliefs, choices, and what has made us who we are. That gives us access to more freedom and choice within ourselves. What is the alternative? People who are not empowered tend to allow others to make decisions for them. They make decisions out of fear and based in scarcity. We are also interdependent beings affecting one another. And synergy works when each of us shows up and are fully able to be who we are, willing to be authentic, interdependent, messy even, and trust. And when we do, we empower ourselves and others. How do we then show up as our whole self? What do we need to reach that magic place within ourselves, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Beautiful, your pot of gold, whether that is financial or emotional or otherwise, is already there. You just can't see it yet. Rainbows appear as perfect arcs, often during a rainstorm when the sun shines onto water droplets, which is shattering its white light into an array of brilliant colors. However, 
They are not arches, but instead are whole and complete circles. To see the other half of the hole that falls below the horizon, you must have a view of the rainbow from another perspective in the sky. All of us have scar tissue and those rocks that create the trauma in the soil of our wealth garden. They create destructive stories, harmful beliefs, and addictions that stand in the way of us seeing ourselves in our wholeness. What we need is to change our perspective and to see ourselves more clearly. More as we actually are instead of the destructive stories we tell ourselves about our worth and value. And so circling back to Lee and how she worked through her money story, let's continue to listen in. But I'm grateful for that time at 21. I think actually everyone at the age of 21 should go and absolutely be rewired around the eight generations of money stories before us because it's in our genes. It comes with us. And those money stories, if they're empowering you, keep them. If they're not, change them. And we have the power to do it. It's all in our own mindset. Lee has just given us the key to empowerment and changing our money story. Examining where our beliefs are, where they come from, what their impact is on our emotions and decisions, and then choosing the mindset to carry forward. That is much easier said than done. And as anyone who's gone through this kind of self-examination knows, it's simple, but maybe doesn't feel so easy. For me, part of my money, money narrative sounds like, Work will save me. It will make me feel safe and I can hide in it. So get it together and get to work. You, anyone else hear the whipcracker in that? That protective bully inside is just trying to love and protect the tender, sensitive part of me in that narrative. Now, I'm very aware at this point of this old narrative. It's one of my core wounds and I shared it in my personal story. So if you haven't caught that episode yet, go listen to the first two episodes after this. But it doesn't have the same grip on me as it once did. And yet it still pops its head up once in a while in an effort to attempt to come out and out of retirement, I call it. In fact, it did so this past week. I could feel my insecurity rising, that voice that was telling me I don't have what it takes to put the show together in the way that I envision, that I don't know how to get what is inside of me expressed out in a way that is eloquent and moving and impressive, la 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 la. And so I caught myself in my suffering of having to slave away and make it all perfect. Oh, and here's the topper. I was getting triggered by my sweetheart because he wasn't easing my discomfort. So I caught myself unconsciously expecting him to rescue me from my own pain. Hello, Cinderella inside of me. This narrative was robbing me of my joy and was interfering with my relationship with my sweetie. And yet, because I have the tools and I've been doing this work for a long time, I compassionately took care of this old narrative very quickly. And I composted it into having a lot of fun with the season and the show and with you. So every woman has her own version of this. And next up, we're going to hear from Australian Dame Natalie Ledwell. She's a best-selling author, host of the podcast, Not Over, Just Different. She's the co-host of the cable TV show, Wake Up, and the founder of Mind Movies, which is a hugely successful and revolutionary online personal development company that has reached over 5.8 million people worldwide. 
Here's the fun part. In 2020, Natalie had the immense honor of being knighted by the Orthodox Order of St. John, a humanitarian group recognizing individuals who are not only doing great work, but who also have a big vision of the work that they want to complete in the world by helping others. So here's what Natalie did. And Glenn, when that she notes, is her former husband. And uh, I have, I always have a personal coach. I think it's really important, especially as a transformational leader, to always be doing my own work. And um, and the interesting thing that we uncovered in one of my sessions was that I felt like I and you know, if, and if you know my company, let me just digress a little bit. Um, Glenn and I are still business partners, even though we're not married anymore. Uh, he looks after the marketing. He's like the CEO of the company. I'm the face. So I create the content, I do all the videos, speak on stage, write the books, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and so I had so somehow I got myself into a mindset where I thought I'm the obligation. I don't have as much worth in the company as Glenn. My job isn't as important as his. And the only reason he's keeping me around is because I'm an obligation to him, had being his ex-wife. Now, I don't know where that came from, (laughs) but it was deep. And part of it is the culture in which I grew up in where the guy needs to be the man, you know. So whatever he does um, is, you know, he's got to be the man, which is kind of part of the reason we're not married anymore because I really got into a place where I thought I can't shine. I can't step out in all of my brilliance because it will be at the expense of his light which, again, is just a story that I made up in my mind that is not exactly true. <laughs> but that's what I was feeling at the time, which, you know, which was what was part of the, you know, the catalyst for, for us separating. And so then it, when I go a little bit deeper on that, I'm like, well, what, what is my self-worth here? So it was, it was really me. Um, and I actually had a couple of um, uh, plant medicine ceremony uh, experiences last year and on one of the trips when I w- was down in Costa Rica uh, you know the process I do goes over four nights and the first night you know mother ayahuasca went you know you don't love yourself I'm like what that's crazy of course I do and then she showed me a couple of situations so I'm like oh okay maybe I don't um, but then I had to go back to well why why is this what's happening here and um, and when I uncover all of this it's it was really not me loving me, the version that I am now. It was me not loving the child, the inner child, the little girl who was three and had her mother leave her. And uh, on one of, in one of my ceremonies, actually, saw I was with her and she was black and white and she's caught up in the corner and she's crying. She's got this little furry jacket on. And uh, I remember picking her up and holding her and hugging her and going, darling, it's okay. I said, it's okay. I go, we had to go through that. I said, because that experience is what made us who we are today. And we had this huge job ahead of us. We, we, we're going to change the world, but we had to go through that. And I said, I said, it's okay. I love you and I've got you. And then she turned into colour and she was playing like a child should. And so I have a little love altar that I have set up at home which has, you know, rose quartz and different crystals, and I have her photo there. So every morning I'm blessing her, I'm loving on her uh, because we don't realise how much that child 
and whatever trauma we experienced as a child taints everything that we see. We see everything through that lens, you know, and so until we can, you know, reconcile, until we can love, until we can own that part of who we are, it's difficult for us to be able to have the full, passionate, fulfilled, you know, ecstatic life that we're all destined to have. Natalie reminds us that, in fact, our source of validation is found in taking ownership of our internal messiness, plumbing the depth of our destructive inner beliefs, and putting in daily patterns to transform them. She turned the traditional Cinderella story on its head. And as the donkey skin version of Cinderella reminds us, we have choice. This Cinderella's journey away from her family home is a powerful tale of creating a new life and identity by an active heroine who takes a vital part of her own transformation. You don't have to stay stuck in your life you were born into or the circumstances you find yourself in now. Just choose again, beautiful. The rainbow reminds us that we are already whole. We just can't see it because there's stuff in the way, stuff we can't see. So we just need a wider view to get all of who we really are by bringing attention to how our personal internal version of Cinderella is playing out inside of us. Again, I believe everyone has a Cinderella in them. We're all looking to be rescued in some way. It's built into religion, society, gender roles, and as we see here, our ancestral stories. We are all at one time or another looking for external validation whether that's in the form of achievements, status, or a significant other, or the amount of money in our bank account. And the very special invitation that I have here for you is to examine. Examine where have you in your life learned helplessness? In what ways are you wanting to be saved or rescued? And in the process, giving the keys of your power away. And then ask yourself, do I really want to be doing that? So you can begin by asking yourself the question, what am I avoiding because I'm afraid to look? Avoiding a beautiful one doesn't make it go away. It's playing out in you and it's robbing you of so much in your life and in your bank account. Stop waiting for the charming rescuer. He or she is not coming to save you. You have the power to transform your beliefs about your worth and value. Truly, when it is really comes down to it, the only person that can save you is you or God through you, if you prefer. And when you reclaim your power, it has a direct impact on the balance of your net worth and in your bank account. Join us in our next episode, where we continue to unpack the Cinderella story and how we can unpack our money programming. I'd also like to thank my guests, Emily Fletcher of ZivaMeditation.com, Sage Levine of WomenRockingBusiness.com, Dr. Catherine Guiley of MakingEverythingFun.com, Lee Richer of GoAskLee.com, and Natalie Ledwell of MindMovies.com. And of course, thank you to my sponsor, Ziva Meditation. Thank you for listening to The Nature of Money, a show of the Living Wealthy Institute. I'm your host, Jennifer Love. Thank you for joining me. Inspired by what you heard? Challenged? This is sobering and confronting material. 
I know. I've done it. And I continue to do it. And I work with leaders around the world in doing this work. It's a big step to even get to the place where you're willing to look and examine your core beliefs and the ways that you could be sabotaging yourself and say, yeah, that could be happening in me. Exploring this on your own is not easy. If you'd like support with identifying how your harmful narratives are blocking you from feeling worthy, valuable, whole, and freeing yourself and in your relationship with money, please book a discovery session with us. You can book that by going to jenniferlove.com and filling out a short and easy discovery form that helps me and the team prepare so we can show up and explore how to best support you. You can also join our free Living Wealthy Community Facebook group where I share financial resources, living wealthy tips, and weekly money inspirations. You can find that at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash living wealthy. And will you take just a moment right now and give this show a stellar rating on the channel you are tuning into and then share this episode with someone who could really benefit from its magic. I deeply appreciate you. And thank you to my co-producer, Tyler Lowe, to my writing shepherd, Tina Overberry, and to the musical magic and all around soul support of my sweetheart, John Bagdasarian, and to the entire Living Wealthy team. The manifestation of this project is simply not possible without them. And to you, my listener, thank you. And I wish you a blessed week.